Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. As always, send me your questions, your comments, and suggestions to carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com. You can also reply to the Q&A under the episode description. And if you enjoy the content here at Carla Reads the Classics, please consider making a small contribution to further support the podcast. I'd appreciate it so much. And now, without further delay, I give you Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Chapter 41. Elizabeth had settled it that Mr. Darcy would bring her sister to visit her the very day after reaching Pemberley, and was consequently resolved not to be out of sight of the inn the whole of that morning. But her conclusion was false, for on the very morning after their arrival at Lambton, these visitors came. They had been walking about the place with some of their new friends and were just returning to the inn to dress themselves for dining with the same family when the sound of a carriage drew them to a window and they saw a gentleman and a lady in a curricle driving up the street. Elizabeth, immediately recognizing the livery, guessed what it meant and imparted no small degree of her surprise to her relations by acquainting them with the honor which she expected. Her uncle and aunt were all amazement, and the embarrassment of her manner as she spoke joined to the circumstance itself, and many of the circumstances of the preceding day opened them to a new idea on the business. Nothing had ever suggested it before, but they felt that there was no other way of accounting for such attentions from such a quarter than by supposing a partiality for their niece. While these newly born notions were passing in their heads, the perturbation of Elizabeth's feelings was at the very moment increasing. She was quite amazed at her own discomposure, but amongst other causes of disquiet, she dreaded least the partiality of the brother should have said too much in her favor. And more than commonly anxious to please, she naturally suspected that every power of pleasing would fail her. She retreated from the window, fearful of being seen. And as she walked up and down the room, endeavoring to compose herself, saw such looks of inquiring surprise in her uncle and aunt as made everything worse. Miss Darcy and her brother appeared, and this formidable introduction took place. With astonishment did Elizabeth see that her new acquaintance was at least as much embarrassed as herself. Since her being at Lambton, she had heard that Miss Darcy was exceedingly proud, but the observation of a very few minutes convinced her that she was only exceedingly shy. She found it difficult to obtain even a word from her beyond a monosyllable. Miss Darcy was tall and on a larger scale than, than Elizabeth, and though little more than 16, her figure was formed and her appearance womanly and graceful. She was less handsome than her brother, but there was sense and good humor in her face, and her manners were perfectly unassuming and gentle. Elizabeth, who had expected to find in her as acute and unembarrassed an observer as ever Mr. Darcy had been, with much relief was much relieved by disconcerting by discerning such different feelings they had not been long together before mr darcy told her that bingley was also coming to wait on her and she had barely time to express her satisfaction and prepare for such a visitor when bingley's quick step was heard on the stairs and in a moment he entered the room all elizabeth's anger against him had been long done away but she still felt 
but she had still felt any, it could hardly have stood its ground against the unaffected cordiality with which he expressed himself on seeing her again. He inquired in a friendly though general way after her family and looked and spoke with the same good-humored ease that he had ever done. To Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner, he was scarcely a less interesting personage than to herself. They had long wished to see him. The whole party before them, indeed, excited a lively attention. The, the suspicions which had just arisen of Mr. Darcy and their niece directed their observation towards each with an earnest though guarded inquiry, and they soon drew from those inquiries the full conviction that one of them at least knew what it was to love. Of the lady's sensation, they remained a little in doubt, but that the gentleman was overflowing with admiration was evident enough. Elizabeth, on her side, had much to do. She wanted to ascertain the feelings of each of her visitors. She wanted to compose her own and to make herself agreeable to all. And in the latter object, where she feared most to fail, she was most sure of success. For those to whom she endeavored to give pleasure were prepossessed in her favor. Bingley was ready, Georgiana was eager, and Darcy determined to be pleased. In seeing Bingley, her thoughts naturally flew to her sister, and oh, how ardently did she long to know whether any of his were directed in a like manner. Sometimes she could fancy that he talked less than on former occasions, and once or twice pleased herself with the notion that, as he looked at her, he was trying to trace a resemblance. But though this might be imaginary, she could not be deceived as to his behavior to Miss Darcy, who had been set up as a rival to Jane. No look appeared on either side that spoke particular regard. Nothing occurred between them that could justify the hopes of his sister. On this point, she was soon satisfied, and two or three little circumstances occurred ere they parted, which, in her anxious interpretation, denoted a recollection of Jane not untinctured by tenderness and a wish of saying more that might lead to the mention of her he had dared. He observed to her at a moment when the others were talking together and in a tone which had something of real regret that it was a very long time since he had had the pleasure of seeing her. And before she could reply, he added, it is above eight months. We have not met since the 26th of November. We were all dancing together at Netherfield. Elizabeth was pleased to find his memory so exact, and he afterwards took occasion to ask her, when unattended by any of the rest, whether all her sisters were at Longbourn. There was not much in the question nor in the preceding remark, but there was a look and a manner which gave them meaning. It was not often that she could turn her eyes on Mr. Darcy himself, but whenever she did catch a glimpse, she saw an expression of general complacence, and in all that he said, she heard an accent so removed from, from hauteur or disdain of his companions, as convinced her that the improvement of manners which she had yesterday witnessed, however temporary its existence might prove, had at least outlived one day. When she saw him thus seeking the acquaintance and, co and courting the good opinion of people with whom any intercourse a few months ago would have been a disgrace, when she saw him thus civil, not only to herself, but to the very relations whom he had openly disdained, and recollected their last lively scene in Hunsford Parsonage, the difference, the change was so great and struck so forcibly on her mind that she could hardly restrain her astonishment from being visible. 
never in the company of his dear friends at Netherfield or his dignified relations at Rosings had she seen him so desirous to please, so free from self-consequence or unbending reserve as now, when no importance could result from the success of his endeavors, and when even the acquaintance of those to whom his attentions were addressed would draw down the ridicule and censure of the ladies both of Netherfield and Rosings. Their visitor stayed with them above half an hour, and when they arose to depart, Mr. Darcy called on his sister to join him in expressing their wish of seeing Mr. and Mrs. Gardner and Miss Bennet to dinner at Pemberley before they left the country. Miss Darcy, though with a difference which marked her a little in the habit of giving invitations, readily obeyed. Mrs. Gardner looked at her niece, desirous of knowing how she, whom the invitation most concerned, felt disposed as to its, its acceptance, but Elizabeth had turned away her head, presuming, however, that this studied avoidance spoke rather a momentary embarrassment than any dislike of the proposal, and seeing in her husband, who was fond of society, a perfect willingness to accept it, she ventured to engage for her attendance, and the day after the next was fixed on. Bingley expressed great pleasure in the certainty of seeing Elizabeth again, having still a great deal to say to her and many inquiries to make after all their Herefordshire friends. Elizabeth, construing all this into a wish of hearing her speak of her sister, was pleased, and on this account, as well as some others, found herself, when their visitors left them, capable of considering the last half hour with some satisfaction, the while it was passing, the enjoyment of it had been little. Eager to be alone and fearful of inquiries or hints from her uncle and aunt, she stayed with them only long enough to hear their favorable opinion of Bingley, and then hurried away to dress. But she had no reason to fear Mr. and Mrs. Gardner's curiosity. It was not their wish to force her, com her communication, it was evident that she was much better acquainted with Mr. Darcy than they had before any idea of. It was evident that he was very much in love with her. They saw much to interest, but nothing to justify inquiry. Of Mr. Darcy, it was now a matter of anxiety to think well, and as far as their acquaintance reached, there was no fault to find. They could not be untouched by his politeness, and they had drawn his character from their own feelings and his servant's report without any reference to any other account. The circle in Herefordshire to which he was known would not have recognized it for Mr. Darcy. There was now an interest, however, in believing the housekeeper, and they soon became sensible that the authority of a servant who had known him since he was four years old, and whose own manners indicated respectability, was not to be hastily rejected. Neither had anything occurred in the intelligence of their Lambton friends that could materially lessen its weight. They had nothing to accuse him of but pride. Pride he probably had, and if not, it would certainly be imputed by the inhabitants of a small market town where the family did not visit. It was acknowledged, however, that he was a liberal man and did much good among the poor. With respect to Wickham, the travellers soon found that he was not held there much in estimation, for though the chief of his concerns was the son of his patron were imperfectly understood, it was yet a well-known fact on his quitting Derbyshire he had left many debts behind him, which Mr. Darcy afterwards discharged. As for Elizabeth, her thoughts were at Pemberley, this evening more than the last, and the evening 
though as it passed it seemed long, was not long enough to determine her feelings towards one in that mansion, and she lay awake two whole hours endeavoring to make them out. She certainly did not hate him. No, hatred had vanished long ago, and she had almost as long been ashamed of ever feeling a dislike against him that could so be recalled. The respect created by the conviction of his valuable qualities, though at first unwillingly admitted, had for some time ceased to be repugnant to her feeling, and it was now heightened into somewhat of a friendlier nature by the testimony so highly in his favor and bringing forward his disposition in so amiable a light which yesterday had produced. But above all, above respect and esteem, there was a motive within her of goodwill which could not be overlooked. It was gratitude, gratitude not merely for having once loved her, but for loving her still well enough to forgive all the petulance and acrimony of her manner in rejecting him, and all the unjust accusations accompanying her accompanying her rejection. He who she had been persuaded would avoid her as as his greatest enemy seemed on this accidental meeting most eager to preserve an acquaintance and without any indelicate display of regard or any peculiarity of manner where their two selves only were concerned was soliciting the good opinion of her friends and bent on making her known to his sister such a change in a man of so much pride exciting not only astonishment but gratitude for to love ardent love it must be attributed. And as much and as such its impression of her was a sort to be encouraged as by no means unpleasing, though it could not be exactly defined. She respected, she esteemed, she was grateful to him. She felt a real interest in his welfare, and she only wanted to know how far she wished she wished that welfare to depend upon herself, and how far it would be for the happiness of both that she should employ the power which her fancy told her she still possessed of bringing on her the renewal of his addresses. It had been settled in the evening between the aunt and the niece that such a striking civility as Miss Darcy's in coming to see them on the very day of her arrival at Pemberley, for she had reached it only to a late breakfast, ought to be imitated, though it could not be equaled by some exertion of politeness on their side, and consequently that it would be highly expedient to wait on her at Pemberley the following morning. They were therefore to go. Elizabeth was pleased, though when she asked herself the reason, she had very little to say in reply. Mr. Gardiner left them soon after breakfast. The fishing scheme had been renewed the day before, and a positive engagement made of his meeting some of the gentlemen at Pemberley before noon. Chapter 45 Convinced, as Elizabeth now was, that Miss Bingley's dislike of her had originated in jealousy, she could not help feeling how unwelcome her appearance at Pemberley must be to her, and was curious to know with how much civility on that lady's side the acquaintance would now be renewed. On reaching the house, they were shown through the hall into a saloon whose northern aspect rendered it delightful for summer. Its windows opening to the ground admitted a most refreshing view of the high woody hills behind the house and of the beautiful oaks and Spanish chestnuts which were scattered over the intermediate lawn. 
In this house, they were received by Miss Darcy, who was sitting there with Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, and the lady with whom she lived in London. Georgiana's reception of them was very civil, but attended with all the embarrassment which, though proceeding from shyness and the fear of doing wrong, would easily give to those who felt themselves inferior the belief of her being proud and reserved. Mrs. Gardiner and her niece, however, did her justice and pitied her. By Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley they were noticed only by a curtsy, and on their being seated, a pause, awkward as such pauses must always be, succeeded for a few moments. It was first broken by Mrs. Annesley, a genteel, agreeable-looking woman, whose endeavor to introduce some kind of discourse proved her to be more truly well-bred than either of the others, and between her and Mrs. Gardiner, with occasional help from Elizabeth, the conversation carried on. Miss Darcy looked as if she wished for courage enough to join in, and sometimes did venture a short sentence when there had been, when there was the least danger of it being heard. Elizabeth soon saw that she was herself closely watched by Miss Bingley, and that she could not speak a word, especially to Miss Darcy, without calling her attention. This observation would not have prevented her from trying to talk to the latter had they not been seated in an inconvenient distance, but she was not sorry to be spared the necessity of saying much. Her own thoughts were employing her. She expected every moment that some of the gentlemen would enter the room. She wished she feared that the master of the house might be amongst them, and whether she wished or feared it most, she could scarcely determine. After sitting in this manner a quarter of an hour without hearing Miss Bingley's voice, Elizabeth was roused by receiving from her a cold inquiry after the health of her family. She answered with equal indifference and brevity, and the other said no more. The next variation which their visit afforded was produced by the entrance of servants with cold meat, cake, and a variety of all the finest fruits in season. But this did not take place till after many a significant look and smile from Mrs. Annesley to Miss Darcy had been given to remind her of her post. There was now an employment for the whole party, and though they could not all talk, they could all eat, and the beautiful pyramids of grapes, nectarines, and peaches soon collected them round the table. While thus engaged, Elizabeth had a fair opportunity of deciding whether she most feared or wished for the appearance of Mr. Darcy, by the feelings which prevailed on his entering the room, and then, though but a moment before she had believed her wishes to predominate, she began to regret that he came. He had been some time with Mr. Gardiner, who— with two or three other gentlemen from the house, was engaged by the river and had left him only on learning that the ladies of the family intended a visit to Georgiana that morning. No sooner did he appear than Elizabeth wisely resolved to be perfectly easy and unembarrassed, a resolution the more necessary to be made, but perhaps not the more easily kept, because she saw that the suspicious of the that the suspicions of the whole party were awakened against them, and that there was scarcely an eye which did not watch his behavior when he first came into the room, and no countenance was attentive curiosity so strongly marked as in Miss Bingley's, in spite of the smiles which overspread her face whenever she spoke to one of its objects, for jealousy had not yet made her desperate, and her attentions to Mr. Darcy were by no means over.
Miss Darcy, on her brother's entrance, exerted herself much more to talk, and Elizabeth saw that he was anxious for his sister and herself to get acquainted and forwarded as much as possible every attempt at conversation on either side. Miss Bingley saw all this likewise, and in the imprudence of anger took the first opportunity of saying, with sneering civility, "'Pray, Miss Eliza, are not the Shire military militia removed from Meryton? They must be a great loss to your family.' In Darcy's presence she dared not mention Wickham's name, but Elizabeth instantly comprehended that he was uppermost in her thoughts, and the various recollections connected with him gave her a moment's distress, but exerting herself vigorously to repel the ill-natured attack, she presently answered the question in a tolerably detached tone. While she spoke, an involuntary glance showed her Darcy, with a heightened complexion, earnestly looking at her and his sister overcome with confusion and unable to lift up her eyes. Had Miss Bingley known what pain she was then giving her beloved friend, she undoubtedly would have refrained from the hint, but she had merely intended to decompose Elizabeth by bringing forward the idea of a man to whom she believed her partial to make her betray a sensibility which might injure her in Darcy's opinion, and perhaps to remind the latter of all the follies and absurdities by which some part of her family were connected with that core. Not a syllable had ever reached her of Miss Darcy's meditated elopement. To no creature had it been revealed where secrecy was possible except to Elizabeth, and from all Bingley's connections her brother was particularly anxious to conceal it from the very wish which Elizabeth had long ago attributed to him of their becoming hereafter her own. He had certainly he had certainly formed such a plan, and without meaning that it should affect his endeavor to separate him from Miss Bennet, it is probable that it might add something to his lively concern for the welfare of his friend. Elizabeth's collected behavior, however, soon quieted his emotion, and as Miss Bingley, vexed and disappointed, dared not approach nearer to Wickham, Georgiana also recovered in time, though not enough to be able to speak any more. Her brother, whose eyes she feared to meet, scarcely recollected her interest in the affair, and the very circumstance which had been designed to turn his thoughts from Elizabeth seemed to have fixed them on her more and more cheerfully. Their visit did not continue long after the question and answer above mentioned, and while Mr. Darcy was attending them to their carriage, Miss Bingley was venting her feelings and criticisms on Elizabeth's person, behavior, and dress but Georgiana would not join her. Her brother's recommendation was enough to ensure her favor. His judgment could not err. And he had spoken in such terms of Elizabeth as to leave Georgiana without the power of finding her otherwise than lovely and amiable. When Darcy returned to the saloon, Miss Bingley could not help repeating to him some part of what she had been saying to his sister. "'How very ill Miss, El Miss Eliza Bennet looks this morning!' Mr. Darcy, she cried. I never in my life saw someone so much altered as she is since the winter. She has grown so brown and coarse. Louisa and I were agreeing that we should not have known her again. However little Mr. Darcy might have liked such an address, he contented himself with coolly replying that he perceived no other alteration than her being rather tanned, no miraculous consequence of traveling in the summer. 
For my own part, she rejoined, I must confess that I never could see any beauty in her. Her face is too thin, her complexion has no brilliancy, and her features are not at all handsome. Her nose wants character. There is nothing marked in its lines. Her teeth are tolerable, but not out of the common way. And as for her eyes, which have sometimes been called so fine, I could never see anything extraordinary in them. They have a sharp, shrewish look, which I do not like at all. And in her air, altogether, there is a, a self-sufficiency without fashion, which is intolerable. Persuaded as Miss Bingley was that Darcy admired Elizabeth, this was not the best method of recommending herself, but angry people are not always wise, and in seeing him at last look somewhat nettled, she had all the success she expected. He was resolutely silent, however, and from a determination of making him speak, she continued, I remember when we first saw her in Herefordshire, how amazed we all were to find that she was a reputed beauty. And I particularly recollect your saying one night after they had been dining at Netherfield, she a beauty. I should as soon call her mother a wit. But afterwards, she seemed to improve on you. And I believe you thought her rather pretty at one time. Yes, replied Darcy, who could contain himself no more. But that was only when I first saw her, for it is many months since I have considered her as one of the handsomest women of my acquaintance. He then went away, and Miss Bingley was left all to the satisfaction of having forced him to say what gave no one any pain but herself. Mrs. Gardiner and Elizabeth talked of all that had occurred during their visit as they returned, except what had particularly interested them both. The look and behavior of everybody they had seen were discussed, except of the person who had mostly engaged their attention. They talked of his sister, his friends, his house, his fruit, of everything but himself. Yet Elizabeth was longing to know what Mrs. Gardiner thought of him, and Mrs. Gardiner would have been highly gratified by her niece's beginning the subject. Let's keep it moving. Chapter 46. Elizabeth had been a good deal disappointed in not finding a letter from Jane on their first arrival at Lambton, and this disappointment had been renewed on each of the mornings that had now been spent there. But on the third, her repining was over, and her sister justified by the receipt of two letters from her at once, one of which was marked that it had been missent elsewhere. Elizabeth was not surprised at it, as Jane had written the direction remarkably ill. They had just been preparing to walk as the letters came in, and her uncle and aunt, leaving her to enjoy them in quiet, set off by themselves. The one missent must first be attended to. It had been written five days ago. The beginning contained an account of all their little parties and engagements, with such news as the country afforded. But the latter half which was dated a day later and written in evident agitation, gave more important intelligence. It was to this effect. Since writing the above, dearest Lizzie, something has occurred of a most unexpected and serious nature, but I am afraid of alarming you. Be assured that we are well. What I have to say relates to poor Lydia. An express came at twelve last night, just as we were all gone to bed from Colonel Forrester, to inform us that she was gone off to Scotland with one of his officers, to own the truth with Wickham. Imagine our surprise! 
To Kitty, however, it does not seem so wholly unexpected. I am very, very sorry. So imprudent a match on both sides. But I am willing to hope the best and that his character has been misunderstood. Thoughtless and indiscreet, I can easily believe him. But this step, and let us rejoice over it, marks nothing bad at heart. His choice is disinterested, at least, for he must know my father can give her nothing. Our poor mother is sadly grieved. My father bears it better. How thankful am I that we never let him know what has been said against him. We must forget it ourselves. They were off Saturday night about 12, as is conjectured, but were not missed till yesterday morning at 8. The express was sent off directly. My dear Lizzie, they must have passed within 10 miles of us. Colonel Forrester gives, gives us reason to expect him here soon. Lydia left a few lines for his wife, informing her of their intention. I must conclude, for I cannot be long from my poor mother. I am afraid you will not be able to make it out, but I hardly know what I have written. Without allowing herself time for consideration and scarcely knowing what she felt, Elizabeth, on finishing this letter, instantly seized the other and opening it with the utmost impatience, read as follows. It had been written a day later than the conclusion of the first. By this time, my dearest sister, you have received my hurried letter. I wish this may be more intelligible, but though not confined for time, my head is so bewildered that I cannot answer for being coherent. Dearest Lizzie, I hardly know what I would write, but I have bad news for you, and it cannot be delayed. Imprudent as the marriage between Mr. Wickham and our poor Lydia would be, we are now anxious to be assured it has taken place, for there is but too much reason to fear they are not gone to Scotland. Colonel Forrester came yesterday, having left Brighton the day before, not many hours after the express, though Lydia's short letter to Mrs. F. gave them to understand that they were going to Gretna Green, something was dropped by Denny expressing his belief that W. never intended to go there or to marry Lydia at all, which was repeated to Colonel F., who, instantly taking the alarm, set off from B., intending to trace their route. He did trace them easily to Clapham, but no further, for on entering that place they removed into a hackney coach and dismissed the chase that brought them from Epsom. All that is known after this is that they were soon to continue the London road. I know not what to think. After making every possible inquiry on that side of London, renewing them at all turnpikes, and at the inns in Barnet and Hatfield without any success, no such people had been seen to pass through. With the kindest concern, he came to Longbourn and broke his apprehensions to us in a matter most credible to his heart. I am sincerely grieved for him and Mrs. F., but no one can throw any blame on them. Our distress, my dear Lizzie, is very great. My father and mother believe the worst, but I cannot think so ill of him. Many circumstances might make it more eligible for them to be married privately in town than to pursue their first plan. And, and, and even if he could form such a design against a young woman of Lydia's connections, which is not likely, can I suppose her so lost to everything? impossible. I grieve to find, however, that Colonel F. is not disposed to depend upon the marriage. He shook his head when I expressed my hopes and said he feared W. was not a man to be trusted. My poor mother is really ill and keeps her room. Could she exert herself, it would be better, but this is not to be expected.' 
And as to my father, I never in my life saw him so affected. Poor Kitty has anger for having concealed their attachment. But as it was a matter of confidence, one cannot wonder. I am truly glad, dearest Lizzie, that you have been spared something of these distressing scenes. But now, as the first shock is over, shall I own that I long for your return? I am not so selfish, however, as to press for it, if inconvenient. Adieu. I take up my pen again to do what I have just told you I would not, but circumstances are such that I cannot help earnestly begging you all to come here as soon as possible. I know my dear uncle and aunt so well that I am not afraid of requesting it, though I have still something more to ask of the former. My father is going to London with Colonel Forrester instantly to try to discover her. What he means to do, I am not sure I know, but his excessive distress will not allow him to pursue, to pursue any measure in the best and safest way, and Colonel Forrester is obliged to be at Brighton again tomorrow evening. In such an exigence, my uncle's advice and assistance would be everything in the world. He will immediately comprehend what I must feel, and I rely upon his goodness. Oh, where, where is my uncle? cried Elizabeth, darting from her seat as she finished the letter in eagerness to follow him without losing a moment of the time so precious. But as she reached the door, it was opened by a servant and Mr. Darcy appeared. Her pale face and impetuous manner made him start. And before he could recover himself to speak, she, in whose mind every idea was superseded by Lydia's situation, hastily exclaimed, I beg your pardon, but I must leave you. I must find Mr. Gardner this moment on business that cannot be delayed. I have not an instant to lose. Good God, what is the matter? cried he with more feeling than politeness than recollecting himself. I will not detain you a minute, but let me or let the servant go after Mr. and Mrs. Gardner. You are not well enough. You, you cannot go by yourself. Elizabeth hesitated, but her knees trembled under her, and she felt how little would be gained by her attempting to pursue them. Calling back the servant, therefore, she commissioned him, though in so breathless an accent as made her almost unintelligible, to fetch his master and mistress home instantly. On his quitting the room, she sat down, unable to support herself, and looking so miserably ill that it was impossible for Darcy to leave her or to refrain from saying in a tone of gentleness and commiseration, let me call your maid. Is there nothing you could take to give yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, let me call your maid. Is there nothing you could take to give your present relief, to give you present relief? A glass of wine, Sh shall I get you one? You are very ill. No, I thank you, she replied, endeavoring to recover herself. There is nothing the matter with me. I, I am quite well. I am only distressed by some dreadful news which I have just received from Longbourn. She burst into tears as she alluded to it, and for a few minutes could not speak another word. Darcy, in wretched suspense, could only say something indistinctly of his concern and observe her in compassionate silence. At length, she spoke again. I have just had a letter from Jane with such dreadful news. It cannot be concealed from anyone. My youngest sister has left all her friends, has eloped, has thrown herself into the power of, of Mr. Wickham. They are gone off together from Brighton. You know him too well to doubt the rest. She has no money, no connections, nothing that can tempt him to. She is lost forever. Darcy was fixed in astonishment. When I consider, 
she added in a yet more agitated voice, that I might have prevented it. I, who knew what he was, had I but explained some part of it only, some part of what I learned to my own family. Had his character been known, this could not have happened, but it is all, all too late now. I am grieved indeed, cried Darcy, grieved, shocked, but it is certain. But is it certain? Absolutely certain? Oh, yes, they left Brighton together on Sunday night and were traced almost to London, but not beyond. They are certainly not gone to Scotland. And what has and, and what has been done? What has been attempted to recover her? My father has gone to London and Jane has written to beg my uncle's immediate assistance and we shall be off, I hope, in half an hour. But nothing can be done. I know very well that nothing can be done. How is such a man to be worked on? How are they even to be discovered? I, I have not the smallest hope. It is horrible in every way. Darcy shook his head in silent acquiescence. When my eyes were opened to his real character, oh, had I known what I ought, what I dared to do, but I knew not. I was afraid of doing too much. Wretched, wretched mistake. Darcy made no answer. He seemed scarcely to hear her and was walking up and down the room in earnest meditation. His brow contracted, his air gloomy. Elizabeth soon observed and instantly understood it. Her power was sinking. Everything must sink under such a proof of family weakness, such as assurance of the deepest disgrace. She could neither wonder nor condemn, but the belief of his self-conquest brought nothing to her consolatory but brought nothing to her consolatory, to her bosom, afforded no palliation of her distress. It was, on the contrary, exactly calculated to make her understand her own wishes, and never had she so honestly felt that she could have loved him as now, when all love must be vain. But self, though it would intrude, could not engross her. Lydia, the humiliation, the misery she was bringing on them all, soon swallowed up every private care, and covering her face with her handkerchief, Elizabeth was soon lost to everything else, and after a pause of several minutes, was only recalled to a sense of her situation by the voice of her companion, who, in a manner which, though it spoke compassion, spoke likewise constraint, said, I am afraid you have been long desiring my, my absence, nor have I anything to plead in excuse of my stay, but real, though unavailing, concern. Would to heaven that anything could be either said or done on my part that it might offer consolation to such distress. But I will not torment you with vain wishes which may be which may seem purposely to ask for your thanks. This unfortunate affair will, I fear, prevent my sister having the pleasure of seeing you at Pemberley today. Oh, yes, be so kind as to apologize for us to Miss Darcy. Say that urgent business calls us home immediately. Conceal the unhappy truth as long as it is possible. I know it cannot be long. He readily assured her of his secrecy, again expressed his sorrow for her distress, wished it a happier conclusion than there was at present reason to hope, and leaving his compliments for her relations with only one serious parting look, went away.
As he quitted the room, Elizabeth felt how improbable it was that they should ever see each other again on such terms of cordiality as had marked their several meetings in Derbyshire, and as she threw a, re a retrospective glance over the whole of their acquaintance, so full of contradictions and varieties, sighed at the perverseness of those feelings which would now have promoted its continuance and would formerly have rejoiced in its termination. If gratitude and esteem are good foundations of affection, Elizabeth's change of sentiment will be neither improbable nor faulty. But if otherwise, if regard springing from such sources is unreasonable or unnatural, in comparison of what is so often described as arising on a first interview with its object, and even before two words have been exchanged, nothing can be said in her defense except that she had given something of a trial to the latter method in her part partiality for Wickham, and that its ill success might perhaps authorize her to seek the other less interesting mode of attachment. Be that as it may, she saw him go with regret, and in this early example of what Lydia's infamy must produce, found additional anguish as she reflected on that wretched business. Never since reading Jane's second letter had she entertained a hope of Wickham's meaning to marry her. No one but Jane, she thought, could flatter herself with such an expectation. Surprise was the least of her feelings on this development. While the contents of the first letter remained in her mind, she was all surprise, all astonishment that Wickham should marry a girl whom it was impossible he could marry for money, and how Lydia could ever have attached him had appeared incomprehensible. But now, it was all too natural. For such an attachment as this, she might have sufficient charms, and though she did not suppose Lydia to be deliberately engaging in an elopement without the intention of marriage, she had no difficulty in believing that neither her virtue nor her understanding would preserve her from falling an easy prey. She had never perceived, while the regiment was in Herefordshire, that Lydia had any partiality for him but she was convinced that Lydia wanted only encouragement to attach herself to anybody. Sometimes one officer, sometimes another, had been her favorite as their attentions raised them in her opinion. Her affections had continually been fluctuating, but never without an object. The mischief of neglect and mistaken indulgence towards such a girl, oh, how acutely did she now feel it! She was wild to be at home, to hear, to see, to be upon the spot, to share with Jane and the cares that must now fall wholly upon her, and a family so deranged, a father absent, a mother incapable of exertion and requiring constant attendance, and though almost persuaded that nothing could be done for Lydia, her uncle's interference seemed the utmost importance, until he entered the room her impatience was severe." Mr. and Mrs. Gardner had hurried back in alarm, supposing by the servant's account that their niece had, was suddenly taken ill. But satisfying them instantly on that head, she eagerly communicated the cause of their summons, reading the two letters aloud and dwelling on the postscript of the last with trembling energy. Though Lydia had never been a favorite with them, Mr. and Mrs. Gardner could not but be deeply afflicted. Not Lydia only, but all were concerned in it. Mr. Gardner promised every assistance in his power. Elizabeth, though expecting no less, thanked him with tears of gratitude, and all three being actuated by one spirit, everything related to their journey was speedily settled. They were to be off as soon as possible. But what is to be done about Pemberley? 
cried Mrs. Gardner. John told us Mr. Darcy was here with you, was, was here with you when you sent for us. Was it so? Yes, and I told him we should not be able to keep our engagement. That is all settled. What is all settled? repeated the other as she ran into her room to prepare. And are they upon such terms as for her to disclose the real truth? Oh, that I know how it was. But wishes were vain, or at least could only serve to amuse her in the hurry and confusion to, to the following hour. Had Elizabeth been at leisure to be idle, she would have remained certain that all employment was impossible to one so wretched as herself, but she had her share of business as well as her aunt, and amongst the rest there were notes to be written to all their friends at Lambton with false excuses for their sudden departure. An hour, however, saw the whole completed, and Mr. Gardner, meanwhile, having settled his account at the end, nothing remained to be done but to go, and Elizabeth, after all the misery of the morning, found herself in a shorter space of time than she could have supposed seated in the carriage and on the road to Longbourn. And that brings us to the end of chapter 46 of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at Classics at gmail.com. And I invite you to please reply in the Q&A section under the episode description. And once again, I would also ask that if you enjoy the content here to please consider making a small contribution to further support the podcast. And finally, let me apologize for my reading flubs. You hear them from time to time and I'm trying to get better, but they happen from time to time. So please, please bear with me. Thanks again for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. Until next time. <laughs>